What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. Today, we're going to understand why the focus on being busy is misguided. If you're looking at building an elite team, we need to radically shift how we're thinking about the work that we do in order to get to that destination. Joining us today, we have Eric Shangle, who is the Senior VP of People and Culture at Pinegate Renewables. They are an independent power producer. He's been in workforce development, human resources. He's dabbled in AI. He's been in startups and established firms. So he's got a full range of experiences that he brings to the table. And from an educational background perspective, he's got his undergraduate degree in ocean engineering from the U.S. Naval Academy. Also has a master's from the University of Oklahoma. So I'm guessing we won't be talking about how Texas is ranking in uh, the polls in this conversation, but that's okay. So with all that being said, Eric Shangle, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much, Dr. Jim. There's going to be a lot of depth of information that we're going to gather out of the discussion. But before we dive into that conversation, I know I said a lot in your bio. What did I miss that you feel is going to be important for the listeners to, to know about you that's going to better inform this conversation? I would say that the biggest thing is that there's not a lot of people that I've met. There are a few that are in the people space, HR, recruiting, et cetera, that have a military officer background. And what kind of got me going in this career path was leadership and management as a junior officer, also at the Naval Academy, learning the fundamentals of leadership and management and recognizing that wasn't something that most leaders and managers in the civilian workforce actually have the opportunity to leverage. So I'd say that my time at the Naval Academy, Naval Postgraduate School, and in the fleet as a Naval officer really has been what's influenced my career as an HR professional. So that's probably the biggest thing that stands out. And also I have an ocean engineering undergraduate, which not a lot of HR people are engineers. You mentioned that your background from being in the Navy armed you with particular skills that equipped you really well for leadership in the civilian space. Tell me a little bit about some of your observations in terms of the gaps that exist uh, that you've seen that you've been able to fill based on your experience in, in the service. There's two main pieces to that. One is management of setting expectations, uh, giving constructive and positive feedback, coaching to meet expectations. I think the more important thing, the thing that's become more apparent in my career is the leadership aspect of aligning to vision and making sure everybody is aware of what their, what the vision is, what their goals are and working towards that. And that's something that seems really basic, but it's something that gets lost in the shuffle with just people wanting to do good work on a daily basis. That sets the stage really well for the rest of the discussions. When you think about your current role, and you're thinking about all the things that you've accomplished in your role. What's the accomplishment that you're most proud of in your current role? Probably the thing that I'm most proud of is the fact that we went through hyper growth during a pandemic and maintained high engagement during that time. 
So being able to be reflective in our engagement survey scores and going through major hyper growth, less than a hundred employees to now we have well over a thousand in the family of companies that we have. So it's a, something I'm proud of that not everybody can say. How did you pull that off? We pulled it off really by being hyper-focused on what we were looking for from a recruiting perspective and being relentless at holding our teams accountable towards what culture meant. So really hiring towards values and competencies and not sacrificing in that aspect. And it's, it's been going strong and we're still going. I don't know how you're going to top what you did through the pandemic, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So when you think about the next moonshot that you have in your radar as a people leader within your organization, what's that next moonshot project that you want to take on and really deliver for the organization? This is, this is a little bit different. This is not really internally focused. This is externally focused in the renewable energy industry. We are sometimes viewed as a subset of the energy industry and really trying to get universities, trade organizations, just industry in general, to think of us as our own industry is really going to be an important factor of that working with our trade organizations. So it sounds trivial, but being able to have unified compensation data, alignment on roles within the industry, those are big topics of the DOE, DOL that we're trying to affect change at. Not just to give you a context of that. The Department of Energy classifies energy storage under automotive when they're doing classifications and labor rollups. And energy storage is a big part of what we do, but we can't get any labor statistics because it's all rolled up under automotive. So it's little things like that. I'm just trying to think of ourselves as an industry that takes a little bit of a five-year lag, I'd say. So there's a lot of work that we're working on that, just in case you were curious why that was important. When you think about your role and your experience in this sector, what's the most fun aspect of the position that you're in? I'm going to give the, the cheesy answer, but it's the truth. It's working with the people I get to work with. I am so proud that, that I get to work with the amazing professionals I do. But really, it comes down to the fact that everybody likes working with each other. We did not hire towards likability, but our team is doing amazing things and they enjoy doing it. And that makes it fun. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't like the people. I'm not entirely surprised given your first answer when you're recruiting through the pandemic and you're going through hyper growth, you identified your core values and recruited to that and you level set on exactly the key criteria that you were looking for. So it logically follows that your third answer would be an outgrowth of what you did from a foundational perspective. So real solid stuff, Eric. So this is a show about building high performance teams. And this isn't your first rodeo, so you've had a lot of different experiences from a people leadership perspective. When you think about the things that most impacted you, what was that game-changing realization that really shifted the way that you build teams? A great question. I would say it really comes down to how I find my job most of the time in trying to eliminate hassles. And really what that means is our team in most companies, employees want to do good work. They want to be busy. They want to be engaged, but that doesn't always mean that the work that they're doing, although they're working very hard and very diligently on it, is really aligned to making the biggest impact. And I think it really comes down to not just with my team and myself, but our company and our employees, making sure they're measuring their, their work by the impact as opposed to the output or how much they're working. Working hard is not necessarily always the, the measure that you need to go after. It's about the impact that your work is having. And the phrase I, I say all the time is, what's the problem you're trying to solve? If you don't know what you're trying to do and why you're doing it, take a break, stop, hit pause, and figure out what is the problem I'm trying to solve with this work. So I really like 
your emphasis on impact. And I want to tie it back to what we mentioned in the beginning of the conversation, which was people have this misguided view about what work actually means. And I'd like you to expand on the impact concept that you brought out and tie that into the difference between work and impact, activity and achievement, and how all of that builds, how all of that flows together. Many facets to that question. I'll start off by saying it, it all starts with communicating vision. And you, you can talk about vision and mission of organizations, and that's not what I want to spend my time on with this. But alignment to that is what's missing so much of the time. Everybody may be able to say, hey, this is what we're trying to do. But when you ask them how their job or what the project or what they're working on aligns to that, there's sometimes a, a long pause and some questions and some scratching the head. What we've been able to do, what I really work, where I focus on with our team is really making sure that people know why they're doing what they're doing. Setting expectations and setting vision is the most important thing. And what I've found is that a lot of times you have people on different teams working at competing projects that are actually should be more aligned in what they're doing. So if you can get the top leadership aligned in what you're doing and, and whatever method you want to use is, is irrelevant, but being able to have a team that can speak towards what they're doing and why they're doing it really helps out. And you asked for a reason, an example of bringing AI into the conversation. You have to really think when you're busy, you're working hard, you feel good, you feel like you're accomplishing a lot, but it may not be the highest and best use of your time. In the AI space specifically, and, and I worked a lot with training data in the AI space, and that was what our company focused on. If you were not fully aligned with what the data needed to be doing and saying, you could have imperfect data. I and mean, we saw this when AI was used to train resumes and in interviewing. If you weren't really specific about making sure that bias was not included into the data, um, you're going to have an imperfect output. Same thing goes with the work that you do on a daily basis. If you are just working hard and making sure you're staying busy, you're going to have an imperfect output that's not necessarily aligned to the work that the company needs and where you're trying to go. I like your focus on the high value task. And the risk is if you're constantly focusing on doing the things that falls in that busy work category, you're going to be evaluated against a non-human counterpart. And that's easily something that can be shifted off and it makes you replaceable. So focus on the things that are uniquely human, focus on the things that have maximum impact, and that should give you a roadmap for progressing through your career and always being seen as somebody that delivers consistently with the values that the organization has. I want to just build upon that a little bit. The reason why I said highest and best use as opposed to just the highest value is there's a lot of times we think that we're working with the highest value work, but that may not be bringing the, the company or the team or the project forward in an aligned way. It may take too long. So making sure that you know that, hey, this might be the most valuable, but it also might be a blocker for something else is important. And then also the biggest thing with AI is that you can't automate or model empathy. The human factor in the work we do is not something that's going to be easily modeled anytime in our near future. So I think that's something anytime you need to have empathy or compassion in the work, we really need to make sure that the human factor is there. And that specifically goes to vision, coaching, feedback, praise, those type of things. Empathy and compassion are a big part of that. Wow. It's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. 
You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. Staying on that topic, one of the common disconnects that we hear about is it comes from line managers and individual contributors. Line managers will often say that, hey, I'm having a hard time getting my people to do the right things. And when you talk to frontline employees, they'll say, I have no idea how the stuff that I'm doing connects to a bigger picture. Neither of those things are good. And it's something that's very common. I want you to close the loop and tell us how the focus on impact conversations can bridge that gap for a lot of organizations. That specific example, there could be a myriad of different reasons why there's the disconnect. I think two main reasons are when you say something once, you haven't really communicated it. You've just put information out there. I hear throughout my career effort, I told them what to do. I set my expectations. I sent an email. Just because you've said something once doesn't mean people have had a chance to process it, have it sink in, understand the implications, even ask questions, which leads me to the second piece is a two-way conversation, an impact conversation, if you will, of you can set expectations. You can tell people what they need to do. You can tell them why, but if you're not allowing them to ask questions and have an interactive conversation, you're missing it. You're talking about using your highest and best use of time. They may not know it's the best or highest use if they don't have an opportunity to put in their own framework or their own content. A lot of times, especially in high growth industries, high growth companies where there's hyper growth, and people say, oh, I told them, I, I informed people. You can't expect that just by informing a person once in one modality is enough. You need to inform them in different modalities, email, Teams or Slack, in bulletins, posting things. However, whatever works for your company, you have to have a multi-method approach and allow an opportunity for people to ask questions all the time. We want to know that we're doing well. And sometimes asking the question is, hey, is this right? Why are we doing this? How does this affect this? Have you thought about this? It's really important to get that interactive feedback. And I really like what you said there because it goes back to your empathy. You know, there are a lot of things that AI can do, but it'll never have empathy. So for first-time managers that are faced with these sort of problems, you have to slow down. You have to resist the urge of jumping in and solving it for them. And you have to bit focus on the things that are most important, which is building the relationships that create the space for those people underneath you to ask the questions. You mentioned earlier, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? You focused on centering yourself onto that question. What's the origin of that? I don't know actually where I got it from. I will say though, that it's something that became more and more apparent as I progressed in my career is that it goes back to me not being a good communicator or communicating as well as I can good in other aspects saying, Hey, are there any questions? Great. Let's move on. Not allowing that uh, opportunity for people to ask questions. What that led to was, especially as I've grown in my career, where I have multiple teams, I saw that there was competing work where people were working on the same thing in different teams and different departments, which shows that I don't think I set good enough vision of what we were doing is when I asked, what's the problem you're trying to solve here? A lot of times I got blank stares and I realized that, oh, this was a good question to ask. And it came probably from trial and error, but it was an evolution of understanding that, oh, I need to have a way that I can check in to make sure I'm setting the vision properly. And that question seemed to just be the one that stuck. I will say anecdotally, my dad doesn't like that question. He thinks it's too negative, but it's the one that seems to get the right, elicit the right responses with our company here. So our team has started to model that behavior. And I will say that it's helped us out a lot. 
but I'm open to feedback on better ways to ask that question. I tend to be a pretty direct communicator, so I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with that question. But if I'm thinking about how would I soften that question for somebody else, I would probably front load it with help me understand, help me get line of sight into what we're trying to solve so that I can help you. That's something that might be a little softer, but then again, it depends on who you're dealing with because that might also fall in the category of corporate speak. WTF are you doing? One of the things I've done is I've created operating principles for our team. And that's one of the operating principles. As people come into our team, they actually have an opportunity to understand and align to some of the sayings that we have that help us do our work better. So it's not something out of the blue. Somebody's going to hear what's the problem you're trying to solve, but it's a part of the vernacular that helps us move forward. But again, I always say I'm open to suggestions and I'm open to feedback just because we have something that works now doesn't mean it's going to work as we grow. I really like what you just did there where you set the rules of engagement up front. And I think that's a common thing that a lot of organizations don't do. Before you walk down the road of trying to execute any initiative, you have to define the terms of your playbook. So if you haven't taken the time to define what's acceptable you're going to have these problems. That's an important bit of nuance that you mentioned there. If everybody's singing from the same hymn book or running plays out of the same playbook, I think there's less of a chance of something getting misconstrued. I want to flip this a little bit. So let's say somebody out there is listening to what we're talking about and they want to shift. They realize we've been focusing on completely the wrong things. We're doing a lot of stuff, but none of that stuff really connects with the most important impact items that are on our list. If people want to make that pivot, what are the things that they need to watch out for that's going to get in the way that you've experienced? The biggest one is the groupthink mentality. You may think that you have an amazing vision that you've communicated clearly. And just because you're not hearing anything from the team, that there's alignment. And that's definitely not the case. You need to create feedback loops to make sure that you're getting honest and real-time feedback on what's going on. And then really empower and ask questions with your team. They may be closer to the work. They may see things that you don't see. They may be able to poke holes in the, the hypothesis that what you actually are trying to solve. So I, I think it's really important to ask things in different ways. Give space for people to ask questions. If you know that you might be an imposing or authoritative figure that may take up a lot of space or uh, cast a large shadow in a meeting, see if you can have somebody else help you out. That's the biggest pitfall I've seen is that listen, I, I come from the Navy. I was an able officer. I know that I can come off as a very demonstrative leader and learning to make sure that I create spaces where people feel comfortable to one, ask questions, to make mistakes because we all make mistakes. And it's really important, but also making sure that vision is not just me being aligned to that vision, that everyone's aligned to the vision and finding those ways to check in on that. That's different for every organization. Now. I'm going to pull on something that you just mentioned there. So you're a former naval officer, you're aware of your psychological size and your impact within your organization. Let's say there's somebody else that's out there listening who also is authoritative, can tend to own a room when they're in it. What are the things that you did that helped you break down your psychological size and also empowered others to speak up? You absolutely need to have good, solid professional relationships with the people closest to you in your role. Now, if you're a senior leader, that means other people on the leadership team and your direct reports. If you're a journeyman level manager or leader uh, practitioner, it's those that you work with closely. You have to have a rapport with them. I will say I am a big fan of Stephen Covey's emotional bank account, the seven habits of highly effective people. 
you need to make sure you have enough credit with each of those people that when you need to withdraw, that you don't over withdraw from that balance. And that starts with getting to know them, knowing what motivates them, what makes them happy. Are they morning people? Do they need to have their coffee before they get going? Like, is there something big happening in their life? But if you don't have that rapport, and if you can't build that relationship, it, it's really hard to break down those barriers. It's something difficult for some people and easier for others, but you have to find a way to build bridges, make rapport. And that's our job in HR. We are human resources, human relations, people operations. There's that human element to everything we do. And if we can't do that, we have to ask ourselves, are we in the right profession? But I think most of us are capable of doing that. It just takes time and intention and the ability sometimes to say, I'm sorry, or I, I'm willing to do better. I like that you called out that leaders need to be willing to say that they made a mistake, make themselves vulnerable, because that actually sets the tone for the team. The bulk of this conversation, we've talked through this whole mindset about don't confuse activity with achievement. Your focus should be on impact. Let's make this real. If we're talking about how do we shift that focus? What are the things that need to be done? How do they need to be done to shift that mindset from activity to impact? What are the things that people need to be aware of and be intentional about to make that shift? It's a great question. And, and I, I think it, it's, it's more basic than people think. Obviously, we've already talked about this. It's, it's start with the end in mind. What's the problem you're trying to solve? Communicating that vision or why are we doing what we're doing and getting alignment in that? That's, that's just step one. The other piece of it is making sure people know what's expected of them in the role and how they do the role. And so often the how you do your role is left off. You may know why you're doing what you're doing. You may, may know what's expected of you in your role, but do employees know what's expected of them as an employee based on the values? How are you being evaluated on the way that you're working within the organization? So to me, it's having a framework for performance, having a framework for your values-based competency, and having a framework for knowing the goals and mission of the organization. And those are the three basic pieces of the puzzle. I know that's super high level, as I said it, you think there's OKRs, Vichumans, other tools and methodologies you can use for the framework for goals, performance reviews, and things like that, or dealing with making sure that you're evaluating performance so long as expectation has been set. But I think that that piece that's missing a lot of times is layering in the values piece and the way that you do your work and make sure that's being evaluated as well. You mentioned that a lot of this can be high level. If people want to dive deep, where can they find you and, and have these conversations with you? I'm on LinkedIn. I will say that's probably the easiest place to find me. Eric Scheindl, I think I might be the only one out there. But Eric Scheindl has a career in the Navy and HR. So I look forward to interacting with some of you. I appreciate you hanging out with us, Eric. There is a, a lot that can be picked out of this episode, but there's a few things that stand out to me. These aren't splitting the atom level concepts, but I think they're important. Everybody falls in love with the big, shiny things. And really, if you've been in any sort of performance-related environment, it's the basics and the foundational stuff that creates the space for you to become elite. So here are the things that stood out to me. One is you said everybody wants to do good work. That relies on the presumption of good intent. And as a leader... If you want to build an elite team, you have to be able to give people the benefit of the doubt and rooting yourself into assuming positive intent is a good way to do it. The other thing that I really liked about the conversation is really that question about what's the problem that you're trying to solve and is the work that you're doing 
deeply aligned with the most important thing on the table that needs solving. For those that are listening, those are questions or perspectives that need to be front of mind to go ahead and execute this really well. So I appreciate you hanging out and sharing that knowledge with us. I think it's going to be useful for a lot of folks out there. For those who have listened to this conversation, leave us a review. We appreciate you hanging out with us. And then tune in next time when we'll have another great leader sharing their game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.